there was one where this this 14 year old boy left left the show because his girlfriend dumped him and his parents didn't want to leave so he, he, there was no re-entry so he was just stuck outside the gates for, for the whole show i was like man poor kid like 14 <laughs> those, are some, those are tough years man those are hard waters to navigate All right, Rob, I have not known you my whole entire life, but I have known you your entire life. Yep. Because uh, you're my little cousin, mm-hmm. but we're neither one of us are little anymore. Yeah. Um, but what I want to talk to you, we could talk about so many things that go so many different ways, but we'll try and stay focused on making sounds. Okay. <laughs> All right. What kind of sound? Um, well, I mean, that can go anywhere. I'm I'm really content with that. Um, okay. But you have been playing music as long as I can remember knowing you, like for a very long time. What was your first favorite song? Oh man, <laughs> my first favorite song. It had been like. Chattahoochee by Alan Jackson or something. I'm pretty sure yeah. uh, my mom was pregnant at Alan Jackson concert with me. And um, I don't know, apparently that was like my first thing. And then um, I kind of, I think went into like the punk rock phase, you know, as I kind of dived into music more. Okay. Um, so. No, but I mean, like my parents were big into country. I mean, my dad was in a country band. Uh, like both our parents my dad, your dad, and our grandfather, who's still alive, and your dad's still alive. My dad died last year. Um, but they're all musicians. Mm-hmm. And, like, whenever we got together as a family, which used to be a lot more often when we were kids. Yeah. Um, it was all the time. Yeah. It was pretty regular, like, sometimes once a month, if not twice a month sometimes. I mean, especially in the summer. Yeah. Uh, but they were always playing live music, right? Yeah, yeah. What did, your dad? Your dad played bass. Talking about it, you know. Do your dad play bass? Yeah, he played bass and sang. Um, oh, dude, your dad sounds just, exactly like Willie Nelson. Like he can, yeah. No, no, he it's, does. It's, he does. He 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 has no, I mean, honed like, that. He, He's got his own voice, but if he wants to, he can also sound like Willie Nelson. Yeah, he has that. Yeah, he, he's it's definitely. crazy. Some people say he sounds more like Willie Nelson than Willie Nelson, but... No, like I was saying, it's weird growing up with that. Because like, even though, I mean, I didn't grow up with your dad, he was still my uncle, or still is. And, yeah, you know, hearing everybody play live music all the time. I mean, they all played before we were even born. And... It didn't, maybe it just didn't register until later in life, like how unique of an experience that is to have a family like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, like even all the graduation parties, um, a lot of weddings and stuff, like 
they would just put the like they never practiced. It was weird. Yeah, they never. It's like you just show up somewhere and Grandpa Vernon's playing keyboard there. Or yeah, or like dude, some you know distant relative or you know close family friend, and your dad gets up there and plays harmonica with them. It's like what the hell? Like they just know the same song, so like they're just gonna play together. You know, they always they would crazy. They would play like whole sets. They would just get up and then just play these jam sets and somebody would be yeah. like, yeah, I know how to sing this whole song. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody would cheers. You yeah, know? yeah. Couldn't, couldn't believe it happened. It was, yeah, it was so cool how often that happened, you know. And then next thing you know, you know, Grandpa Vern and my dad and your dad are all up there. You know, my dad's singing on something while your dad's playing harmonica. Yeah. Grandpa Vern's after slaying on the keys. Like... It was a trip, man. It was it was so cool to see, you know, family have that sort of interaction together. Yeah. And you got thrown into drums pretty early, right? Oh yeah. Well, cuz I keep I kept beating the shit out of everything. That's why it was kind of like drums and martial arts. I just kept hitting everything. Oh, that's right. You uh, yeah, yeah, you were huge in the martial arts too. Yeah. Um we, so. Well, maybe we'll save that for another episode because that's like a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other bag of worms. But uh, no, you. Um, I know you started off on the drums. I'm just wondering: is it because like, oh, the family just needed a drummer? <laughs> but yeah, man, you fit the role too. Definitely. I, I mean, I definitely really enjoyed the drums for sure. I mean, even doing stuff through, like, school and, you know, um, man, I can't remember how early I started playing drums in school. But it's like, as soon as you're able to start playing an instrument in school, it was drums and percussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. And I just continued all throughout all my schooling. And I even almost went to school for drums, like, to college. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. but you said it was you. was going to be that or songwriting. Yeah, but you'd already had your own band by then, so I like I want to rewind to that because you were already playing guitar and singing before then, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of picked that up along the way. Yeah. So, like, when did you pick up the guitar? Okay, so like you started drumming it probably like before you could like read a chapter book. Yeah, I mean it was probably at like six. Yeah, I I just got my son a drum set in his bedroom. He's Sick. He's six. How old is he now? He's six. Oh man, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, he's a two. Oh man, he he likes it more than I. I knew he was gonna like it, but like, it's not just that he likes it; he takes it pretty serious. That's cool. Yeah, which I didn't expect. <laughs> that's cool that it's you know kind of continuing on, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, I can't force too much on the. You know, I mean, you're a new dad. I we can't. Oh man, I wanted to ask you about that right away, but uh, okay, just so excited to talk to you, man. Um, let's stay on track. So you started drumming like real early, and then your dad had was like remodeling the basement. I liked it better before because I could skateboard with Mitch, your older brother. Like we would skate. You could ride a bike We'd, down there. Yeah, you, it was huge. You could, yeah, you could ride a bike down there. There was mountain bikes down there. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. Yeah. It was like a bar and several bedrooms. But he built, yeah, but he built like you a band room, right? 
Pretty much. It was actually going to be a movie room. Uh, he wired it up for a movie room so that way, you know, you could have all your speakers and stuff just plug into the wall. And then the cabling all ran up into the ceiling and came around the other side so that way you could have surround sound and just already plug it in the wall. Like, he already had that figured out. Yeah. he's He and thinks so, of everything. Yeah. Well, your dad thinks of everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so that was the original intention. It was, he was going to put like, you know, a big TV surround sound. And then, uh, he kind of had this idea of also making it a workout room. Yeah. It still was a huge room. Cause it had uh, mirrors. So like, big, yeah. That big mirror wall. Um, and then I think it was probably right around then that I started, you know, playing the drums and, um, my dad kind of busts out his old gear, like his bass and his mic and stuff. And, you know, we just started playing it, kind of slowly developing into that. I got a rug, you know. Yeah. Once you, once you get a rug, now you're really taking up space. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Um, honestly, yeah, I was talking with my buddy with the drum set I have now. Like, I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting a drum set for my son. And he was like, oh, dude, I got one in the basement. It's been sitting there for 10 years. Like, please use it. And I was going to just put it, like, move some things in the living room. Man, no, it takes up a lot. It's like, here's, you have, he has, like, his bed and a drum set now. Like, but, yeah. What else do you really need? First, you set it up along a flat wall, and then you're like, this takes takes up too much space. I got to figure out a way to stuff this in the corner. Sure, sure. So I don't know where you got it set up. No, no, we had it in the corner and then moved it to the flat wall. But I mean, it doesn't have rack mount symbols. So like there's stands for everything. So like it, and I don't know, (laughs) there's, you know, I got the box fan there and everything. And, uh, dude, he's so serious. He uses the box fan as like a gate. Like, no, don't, don't come in the drum set area. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh Yeah. Uh, so how old were you when you started playing guitar? That's a good question. I want to say uh, somewhere in middle school, I think. Uh, Sounds about I remember right. Because uh, it was right around when my parents got the cottage in Wisconsin. Okay. And um, I... I was taking drum lessons not only through school but also private drum lessons like at a at a music shop. Oh wow. And, uh, you know, every day when I'm waiting at the music shop before my drum lessons, I'd see all the, you know, instruments hanging on the wall and uh, I just thought this guitar was really cool. I just thought it was a really cool looking guitar. It was a black strat with a black pick guard, you know, and a rosewood fender board, you know, it's or fingerboard, you know. It, it was, was just, just calling cool to you. It was calling to you. Huh. It was just calling to you, wasn't it? It was the one. It was calling to you. Yeah. And uh, so it was a really cool-looking Squire guitar. And uh, I told my dad that, you know, I wanted to do some chores to earn some money to to buy this. And uh, he told me that I wasn't allowed to buy that Squire guitar. I'm going to save up, you know, $600 and buy the real Mexican Fender Strat. I was like, okay, I don't really want to. (laughs) You know, he made me do it, man. And I, rather than take how much was, the other one was like half the price. It was probably like three fifty. Oh yeah, two hundred bucks. Oh okay. You know, and, you know it, was, it was a squire. You know, and uh, or yeah, yeah, yeah maybe two fifty. I don't know, but uh, still, the the other one was definitely double the price. 
And uh, it took me like a few years to save up. Yeah, it was right when we got to cottage because we were cutting down all sorts of trees and doing all sorts of yard work that I hated. But man, I wanted that guitar. So, what was yeah, he pay? I, what was he paying you for for per hour? It wasn't even per hour. It was like per task, you know. Oh man, you he know, doesn't pay well. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I love your dad to death, and I will do a lot of work for him, but I don't expect too much. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, it was, but, you know, I didn't. I wasn't on an allowance. Like I wasn't obligated to do chores weekly. It was more just like you know I could do chores to to earn money. It was kind of like an optional job. Okay. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know, and I think that I know I'm kind of going off the rails here, but now I actually don't mind doing chores at all because I wasn't forced to do them. Yeah, so, well, you you saw like a benefit. Wow, that's a cool life lesson, huh? You wouldn't even expect. Yeah. So yeah, I'm numb. Like I'm, I'm actually, I I'm pretty tidy. Like I'm pretty proud to say that I'm a tidy person. You know, I'm, I clean up after myself. You know, I'm I'm a good roommate. <laughs> yeah, and that's all. You think that you can attribute a lot of that to, like having to do chores to. I think so for something that you enjoyed yeah i don't know and i mean also my my after my brother moved out you know i my parents gave me that basement so i kind of got this like responsibility given to me and i just decided to take care of it so okay yeah nice that's super cool so what was what was your first so how did you get the first band together i want to hear about the first band like just tell me the tell me all about it. Man, I think it was probably playing in church. You know, I met some some oh, guy that's about my right. age playing in church. Holy yeah. cow! I totally forgot that. Like I had like rented some video equipment from my school library, and then brought it yeah. to Illinois. And like you were playing the drums in church. And I, uh, yeah, I had like a tripod and everything, and I video videotaped it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Did you have to plug it into the wall? Or I have no idea wall? what happened to that tape, man. I, I honestly, <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah, I had a tripod. It was a VHS, like in the. I was recording onto a v- VHS tape with that camera. Wow. Yeah, that had to be a big machine. Oh yeah, it had a big case and stuff but like i said i had a tripod for it so i just set up in the corner nobody even questioned me yeah. like <laughs> but well because i'm sure it was like badass uh, no not i don't know i got it from the school library <laughs> come on yeah you gotta like fill out like a little card and then you can rent the video camera for a week you know <laughs> all right i mean that's pretty cool i've never heard of that my school never did that <laughs> You know what? A lot of people wouldn't have known. It was one of those little things like you had to, you you would have to inquire about it, you know. Okay. Know that it exists and then how you can access it. Yeah, a little secret squirrel stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. so back to your bad. You're, uh, you're jamming. You earn the money probably like seventh, eighth grade. So did you start the band before your freshman year? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I I remember playing in a band as early as I can remember. I think probably in, in beginning of middle school, probably got my guitar somewhere like 
in the middle of middle school, like seventh grade, maybe, maybe started my band sixth and, uh, yeah, got my guitar on seventh. Um, Oh, so you were just, you were the drummer for the first band or you, uh, yeah, but I also, I think I also played guitar at some point. That's too, see, though. that's why I kind of, that's how I remember it is like, but I had that electric guitar I bought wasn't my first guitar. That was the first guitar I bought. My parents bought me like a hundred dollar Esteban acoustic, you know, that had this DVD player pack, you know, that came with it. Kind of a whole. Yeah. Pack. I had one of those too. Oh. A maestro. <laughs> yeah 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 comes with like a nylon case with the zipper and some yep. backpack yep, straps breaks. <laughs> <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about mine was black <laughs> uh I, I think mine was like a you know a tan like a yeah you know, your classic acoustic look sure but, but yeah um I think in my first band, I did play drums, and at a few songs, I switched to playing guitar and sang. And then the singer, uh, who played, this is gonna get confusing, who played bass, yeah, went back to the, then the guitar player picked up the bass. So oh, we so all kind of rotated one, sort of. I vaguely like remember y- your dad talking about this being like a part of your show, though. Like yeah 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 it was like yeah like like watch what we can do we can all switch around and play yeah that is kind of cool though like yeah I I don't know I've seen uh, recently I saw Green Day had played a show where they brought a little kid on stage I saw Green Day in the early two thousands I want to say in Madison. They played a, like a three-hour set. It was ridiculous. But they had like pulled people out of the crowd to play their instruments um, yeah. while the lead singer would sing the song. And so they'd like make a band out of the crowd. But recently I'd seen, I saw something on social media where they, same thing, Green Day pulled a little 11-year-old boy out of the crowd to play guitar. And then like he plays the song and then he like, lets him know he can keep the guitar and oh, man yeah which would be so legit if green day gave you a guitar yeah. when you were 11 like yeah that'd be- man, i was that's that american idiot video they put out that three hour long concert oh okay and that green day dookie record was the first record i remember listening to i i had i was a big fan of green day growing up oh and you know what and i admit it too i still am uh yeah I mean, the first compact disc I bought, first CD I bought was Offspring Smash, but I mean, I don't think I bought Green Day Dookie until like just a couple years ago, because I was yeah. like, man, I never bought it. <laughs> I felt guilty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else had it already. Yeah. But, uh, man, that'd be cool to be that kid, though, that gets selected out of the crowd to come up yeah. on, on the big stage. Well, like, there's how uh, this kind of reminds me of, like, uh, I mean, the uh, out of the tragedy of Dimebag Daryl, like, at yeah. his at his funeral, Eddie Van Halen put the, like, black with yellow stripes. I think it's a Fender. It's, like, this iconic guitar, like, the black yeah. with yellow stripes guitar. 
in his casket mm-hmm. and like his brother was like if you would have told him that he was going to get buried with that guitar he would have said shoot me now <laughs> yeah yeah like <laughs> i still believe that yeah uh yeah just crazy like iconic guitars stuff like that i don't know we're getting a little sidetracked here so what was the name of your band you didn't even say that what was the name of your first band uh, i think it was market 47 and the reason I remember that is because it was the name of our lead singer's meat market that was on Route 47. And that's where we rehearsed, actually. Uh, oh. They had a band space. So, like, we would rehearse at our house because I did have the gear, but then he also had the gear. So that was cool, too. Like, there wasn't many people that had this sort of setup. Where you had so, two different spots to practice? Yeah. That's really convenient, man. Yeah. So, like, he had a full drum kit, PA system, you know, mics and amps and stuff. So, you know, you just go over there with your sticks and play, you know. And you guys are kids, so, like, wh- what were what were all these guys' parents Man, like? Were, what, were, what were all um, the, your band members' parents like, like, at this age, you know? They were super supportive of their kids playing music. I mean, at least... One of the other members had older siblings that were already involved in music and were pretty doing pretty well with it, too. Um, and actually, you know, now that I remember, the owner of the meat market, uh, the dad, his uh, my band member's dad, uh, he was also like a semi-famous saxophone player. Oh, cool. Um, he, he like a local. Chicago all the time. Um, so, yeah, and it was funny because, yeah, we didn't even go to different schools. It was through the church that we all met each other. And uh, he went to school cool guy who was a really good guitar player you know every, those guys were just kind of excelling you know at their craft at their age and uh so he brought him over and we just we all just started playing and learning songs and yeah it was tons of fun dude that's so awesome and then tell me the when, when did you go to the battle of the bands because i just remember that being like kind of a oh man a we thing did it a few, i did it a few times with a few different bands um, when was must that? have been all through high school. So you were in several bands, different yeah. bands through high school, probably two at the same time, stuff like that. Oh yeah, I mean, really in more than one band outside of school. But in school, I was in all you know the concert band, the jazz band, the pit orchestra, the uh, um, the. Uh, what do you call it? The band that plays for like uh, basketball games and stuff. Okay, jazz uh, band. The marching band. Yeah, like all sorts, all, all, all of those bands. So I was always going in early, you know, for practice and then staying after school for other practice, you know. Um, and then outside of that, being in a rock band or at one point even more of a country band. Um, but yeah, it was always different sort of bands as I kind of went through school. But I think my first battle of the bands was actually middle school. Wow. Um, yeah. We won the first one and then didn't win the second round. So it was three rounds, I think. Um, and then same with another. Actually, I think maybe I only did it twice. I can't. No, you did, won one though, didn't you? Didn't you win um, one? It was, it was only that we won. We didn't win like, you know, statewide. Oh, okay. It was like district, um, regional, and then like state or something like that. Huh. It was it was 
kind of a thing. Like, it, I, I can't imagine how many bands participated across this. If it was like with the, maybe it wasn't the state, but I don't know. It seems too big to be the state. Sure. How many? Like, what? How does that? How does that contest operate then? Like, do you get how many songs do you get to play? Can I just play one? Um, like, I think it's just you get a one-hour set. Oh, what? You get a full hour? I think so. Wow, that's pretty impressive. It was. It was a while. Um, I mean, if if not, it was at least like thirty minutes. Thirty minutes seems more realistic. Like a whole hour yeah. would be a lot. Man, this was so long ago. I, <laughs> everything seems so much more exciting, you know, as a kid. Yeah. So my memory of that is just, you know, what it felt like as a kid. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. You the dots are there, and your brain is making up the in between right now. I get it. Yeah, and, and I need you to call me out on my bullshit to make sure that I'm. So I don't know. Here. I don't know, man. I vaguely remember like it wasn't a big part. Like you've you've always yeah, lived yeah. a state away from me, you know. Yeah, um, but it was so crazy how often we saw each other before we, living a state away. Yeah, this we close. We have a close family. Um, yeah, but so. For some reason or another, this is what I never knew was why you like you just said and not that it's a bad choice or anything, but I just don't know. Like you went from like I wanna be in a band to I wanna like produce music, right? Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Yeah, hundred percent. And so like what where where was that shift? Like what was that? Uh, it was, it was going into college. Um, because, you know, like I said, I wanted to go into college and study drums. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. Like I spent all this time, you know, making songs in my basement, writing, playing guitar, singing in bands, you know? Um, and then, you know, even doing a little bit of recording, I was like, I want to learn how to, you know, really write songs. So I was like, I think I already got the drumming thing somewhat down good enough where, you know, I can do songs with, I don't need to do more insane drumming than what I'm capable of on any of the songs I feel like creating, you know, so sure. maybe I don't need to go to school for drums. Um, so maybe I need to really learn how to be a songwriter because I wanted to be an artist. So then, um, you know, once you look at the, the cost of schooling, you, you really start to wonder, you know, okay, do I do I need to go study this? Like, what do I really need to get a degree in? That's really going to be beneficial for me. And, uh, I kind of landed on, um, audio engineering because I wanted to learn how to be on both sides of the glass in a studio. I wanted to really learn how to like, how to dial in mics, get those sounds. Um, because I already kind of have an understanding of the music side, you know, the creative side. I kind of wanted to learn more about the science. Um, so that's kind of where that, that seems so happened. smart going man. into college. What's that? That's so smart that like, I, I'm just kind of like following your mindset through the, through the thought. And it's like, yeah, that's definitely a smart move, man. Um, yeah, no. So you go to school, you, you learn both sides of the glass. We don't have to dwell on the, that specific, like, do you want to talk about yeah. school? No. No, I mean, no, no, I, I don't think you do. I didn't. Um, I went to school for a long time too, man. I don't want to talk about school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um 
so I don't, I don't give a shit like, or how about this? Like, I know that you work for some bigger names and I don't really care about that, but I would just be more interested in like the size, the size crowds that you're working with. And then maybe talk about like what you do for the artists that you work for. Does that make sense? Okay. So that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know you work with some bigger names and I don't want, you know, that to be what we're focused on. So I'd rather just work on like, okay, I work in these arenas for these size crowds and this is what I do to make things sound amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's uh, what that's what I'm really curious about. Yeah. Um so my uh my main practice with audio engineering is yeah, touring, you know, doing arenas, doing as we call sheds, aka amphitheaters, um, and even doing arenas, um, you know, like NFL or stadiums. Um so the, the crowd range can vary quite a bit depending on the venue. Um it can be as little as, you know, 10,000. Um, I think we've been averaging about 14,000 these past few weeks. Um, but then, I mean, shit, stadiums are probably over 20,000, 25,000 people. Um, so, um, yeah, so what I do is I am part of the audio crew. I go in in the morning with our systems engineer, uh, and um, now also our RF coordinator. What does uh, that mean? What What does that mean? So basically, I'm I'm in the morning. I'm an assistant to the the bigger dogs, essentially. So the systems engineer, he's the guy who decides um, through lots of math and software where these speakers in this room need to go, how they need to be angled, how they what height they need to be off the ground. Um, what they, what the EQ or the tone of each box coming out should sound like in order to make this show sound the best possible. That's so cool. And, and I put it there. So my job is to get those speakers in those positions, you know. Oh, to physically put, dude, that's so cool to me. I don't yeah, know. So I, I'm, I hang about, I don't know, four tons worth of equipment in the air uh, over, you know, sometimes people's heads, sometimes, you know, over the people on the stage's heads. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, there's a big liability and responsibility involved. Yeah, yeah dude, that's yeah. huge, uh, though. That I sounds mean, so much fun. Like, what's your day job? I hang all the speakers for the show to start. <laughs> it's pretty wild, man. It's it's a fun job. Um, that's for sure. I I honestly I love what I do so much. The only thing I hate about it is being gone from home. You know. Uh, yeah, and I think yeah. And it's, yeah. Other than that, like, it's it's great. I mean, it's long days, that's for sure. Um, It's weird sleeping on a moving bed in the middle of the night. You know, I'm such a light sleeper, so that's, you know, interesting, but. Man, I mean, before, like, I almost feel like I have to say this at the end, but I can't help myself. It was like, like, all the effort that you put into the day is to produce or is to help produce and it like one of the best experiences that 10, like 10,000 people are going to have in a year or in the mm-hmm. past year alone. 
right? Like the yeah. past year alone, yeah. like what's the best day they've had? Like you, the, like that's your job. <laughs> yeah, man. Is to make people's best crazy. days of the year. That's really cool, man. It's definitely a combination of science and art. Um, so that's, that's definitely a cool place to be. Sure. No, geek out on it for me. Like, <laughs> oh man, I could geek out about it. All do, don't hold I, back. I, I just gotta. I just have to ask questions about like uh, when you say things like RF, you know, or when you just oh, start yeah. using acronyms. So, so, I've I've had a variety of jobs within my job uh, the, these past couple of years. I've been out with this artist for uh, three years now. Um, so, I mean, I, I do work with other people, like in the meantime or in off season, you know, uh, but this is, you know, there's one primary artist that I do work with. Um, and so within that, I started off not only as, so the speakers, AKA PA, you know? Yeah. So my, my job is a PA tech. Uh, I work for a big audio company and this artist, when he goes on tour has to rent all this audio gear cause it costs millions of dollars. You know, it's impossible to buy. And so, and plus you don't want to have to fix it every time it breaks, you know, it's better to, to just rent it. And I was send always wondering about this stuff. This is so cool, yeah. man. So the bigger the artists, like they tend to, they hire their front of house engineer and their monitor engineer are on their payroll. But all the, there's six guys on the audio crew. Two of them work for the artist directly. The other four work for the audio company and work techs to help everything run smoothly. So, um, so as I told you, there's the system engineer and his job is to figure out where these speakers are going to go. So the front of house engineer can mix the show, right? Yeah. So then also there's a monitor tech who helps the monitor engineer with anything on stage. Yeah, um, everybody want everybody in the band needs to hear what they need to hear. And yeah, that's why and the monitor tech Yeah, I got that. Through. I got that right away. Yeah, when you said the monitor tech is by the band, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, man. Um so yeah, like I said, the two engineers are on the payroll, but then the techs, you know, there like I said, there's four techs. Uh, there's two PA techs. So I do one side, one guy does the other side. Um, and then uh, we also have other individual roles. So the other PA tech takes over uh, the helping the system engineer that, you know, I guess I'm, I'm kind of walking you through a, a typical load in day. I guess. No, that's perfect. I guess, yeah. Let's I do it. Start, start from the top. So, I mean, you know, wake up at eight o'clock, go in with the system engineer Um and measure the room. So what we do is he's got a laser, uh, a disto laser that tells yep. you the angle of measurement. Um, and I run around the arena or the stadium or the shed. Um, and he takes all sorts of measurements of the entire place, punches it all into software and uses software and math to figure out where these speakers need to go. So, um, then he prints out all the paperwork that explains where the speakers need to go, hands it to me and the other guy in the morning. And we, you know, get it there. We work with the rigging team to rig up our speakers real quick. And, yeah. Do you, for sheds that you've already previously played, do you just have those printouts already made or like, or do you redo uh, it each time? So, like I said, this is kind of a combination of science and art. So it's the system engineer has all those files on his computer as he, you know, tours every year. Uh, because we tend to do the same 
places, places because yeah. of how his uh, the artist's contract works. Um, so, but as as our system engineer, kind of like th- this, it's so complicated. There's so many different ways to do this, and his method can change from day to day or from year to year. And so, a lot of times, he likes to just remeasure it and and see what he gets again. Okay. Um, so you know, there's no harm in and measuring things three or four times just to see what you get. Because, I mean, we're talking hundreds of yards, you know. Yeah. Things can change. Things can change, you know. Um, they could, uh, there could be, um, like, construction in the ceiling. Sure. Like, yeah, that's not exactly what I was saying. Like, if they shift just lights in the ceiling, which now changes your X point on stage, has now changed your yep. distance. Yeah, like, simple stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd ask. But now that yeah. you say it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of crews, different crews or, you know, departments that work together to put it on a show, obviously. Um, but so, yeah, I help him with that in the morning. But um, I guess as, okay, so as the day goes on, um, I get my PA up in the air. And then they have to do what's called the system check. So I literally just float the PA about a foot off the ground. Ground. Because before we send it all up in the air, um, you want to make sure that everything's plugged in correctly. You know, yeah, that it all. Gonna, you know, you don't want to go too crazy before you know. You know, there's there's a lot of troubleshooting. There's a lot of points of failure in shows. Um, so you know, you want to make sure that you uh, get everything connected properly before you send it up in the air. Most stuff is uh, still hardline now, right? A lot of it's digital. The, okay see uh, yeah that's what i was curious about is like yeah it's, how- it's crazy it's a lot of networking a lot of ones and zeros and um it's it's crazy how much networking is like everything's controlled through switches and cat cables um and then you know then there's physical copper as backup like analog backup um but yeah like i said it's a multi-million dollar system like it's i could go into the science of some of the boxes and it's it's crazy how how they work uh, the Germans have really figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> Give me something. Give me, tell me some nerdy stuff. Uh, we're going so off track, but that's, that's I don't care. Um, so I feel pretty confident in saying that we probably carry one of the top of the line speakers there on the market. Uh, um, so cool about them is, you know, we think about what a speaker's job is, you know, it's to provide as, far of coverage as it can and still provide clarity across the frequency spectrum, right? Yeah. So different boxes can have different angles that project. It can be uh, either one, 120 degrees or um, I believe it's 90 degrees. Um, so the boxes that are on bottom tend to have wider angles because the boxes on top tend to tend to have a further throw. So they shoot the people in the back. So your angle doesn't need to be as because that angle grows as it reaches those people out in the sound field. Does that make sense? Dude, see, this is why I asked you, like, please nerd out because this is so cool. Like, yeah, um, like having the like so, wider projection of the speaker lower on lower to the ground than you would. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, sound works and it projects in a sphere form, right? It kind of goes all over the place. It's not just so direct 
you do have directionality to boxes, but when you talk about the general sound, like you can hear the sound from the speaker almost anywhere in the, in the room, right? It just yeah. changing clarity. So what's crazy about these boxes is they're super quiet on stage. It's it's crazy how quiet they are because um, you can to to uh, I guess quiet down a sound wave. Uh, or eliminate it, you have to have a replica of that sound wave, but 180 degrees out of phase, and they yeah, yeah. cancel. Oh, dude, I totally get this. I I was wondering, yeah. I was like, how do you do this? And so you're going down it. I figured out uh, where to put a speaker on the side of these boxes. So if you imagine a line array, it's got like, at least ours, our main hang has 22 boxes on it, okay? All just chained together, essentially. Um and there's one speaker on each side of these boxes, and they figured out where to put that speaker. So when the the sound wave from the side of the boxes meets the sound wave from the front of the boxes, it uh, is 180 degrees in phase, so you get two of the same sound. So it's actually louder. It's plus 3 dB louder. But by the time the sound from the front of the speakers reaches the back and adds to the sound of the speakers that come from the side drive, or side speakers, it cancels by 180 degrees. So that's so it's, German. <laughs> it's crazy. How, so yeah, that's 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 a good thing for musicians on stage. You know, it doesn't have to be as loud. Yeah, you know, I watched um, that. Uh, and in fact, they've had to uh, turn down everyone's mixes because they can hear everything so much better now that they're they don't have to drown out the, the speaker the uh, stage noise. Oh, that's so convenient. Yeah. So, and that's what our RF coordinator does. He's kind of in charge of any wireless stuff on stage. Wireless mics, wireless uh, in-ear packs so that way people can hear, you know, their mixes. Yeah, there's Um, no longer, you guys don't really do floor monitors anymore, right? It's all in-ear. We don't do that at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, he's managing about, you know, 24 wireless channels on stage so that, you know, he goes in with a frequency scanner in the morning and scans the spectrum, um, figures out, you know, where there's TV channels that are blasting, you know, um, all sorts of frequencies that, you know, he can't, he can't be in because it'll interfere with, you know, the, his wireless equipment. So he basically has to scan around all the stuff that's existing in the air while also staying within the legal frequency spectrum. Um, and that way everyone can wirelessly communicate as they need to on stage and, you know, it not be coming through the PA as, you know, audible frequency blips or, you know, wow, that's, or, that's insane. Like, so he has to go in and scan the location just for like, you don't really have to worry about anybody bringing anything in, I guess. Like nobody carries anything weird, like a pacemaker. Not, I'm not going down a no. nefarious road. I'm just Different. thinking. I'm just thinking. Like innocently, is there something that like spectators would bring that would interfere with the wireless communication and sound of a of a of a show? Not really, because uh, that's. I mean, we're talking megahertz. Like it's way up there. Okay. In the spectrum. So like it's it's such small frequencies that you know it's it's too high to really be. Um, interfered with yeah i don't know i'm just so yeah i mean you got a tv tower right next door you know blasting 
you know, at, you know, a certain range of megahertz, then, you know, you can't obviously put anything in that spectrum. Um, and sometimes shit changes during the day. Like all of a sudden you have this TV station that comes on at two thirty PM and, and you're like, shit, you know, our show's about to start. Like, you know, Oh wow. And you change stuff up. Yeah. Stuff happens on the fly. So fast. The audience has no idea. Wow. So, so um, and neither do the musicians. What? So take me through a sound check. Um, uh, so after, after, like I said, after the PA is flown up, I help patch the stage, you know, which is, you know, taping down the cables out, taping things uh, down, yeah, plugging everything in, plugging in all the mics, micing it all up, um, setting up wireless antennas as they need to be placed. Um, and once that's all ready to go, uh, so like I said, we'll, I'll start the day around 8 a.m. Sound check is usually around 3.20 p.m. Oh, wow. So you get a nice lunch if everything's uh, smooth. No. <laughs> if so everything's it takes, smooth? It takes a while I mean, yeah, we'll get like an hour break there for, for some lunch. Um, eh, maybe like 30 minutes. Sure. Um, so, and uh, what I was saying about the system engineer and the RF guy is before I was going in with the system engineer, now I go in in the morning with the RF guy and I'm kind of learning from him. Um, so I'm kind of learning a little bit of both sides of, of what these guys do because they're two different sides of the snake, as we call it. We have this long cable that goes out the front of the house that communicates with the stage, you know, in all sorts of different ways, you know, digitally, you know, through switches and stuff, and then also analog, and then there's also power. They need power out there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's two different sides of the snake. So the RF guy is who I've been learning from lately who's more on the stage with the monitor engineer, and that's kind of where I live during shows and sound check. Um, so... 320 band comes in. They're usually just finishing up playing pickleball out in the, out in the parking lot. Um, so they come in all sweaty, ready for sound check. And, uh, you know, they, the, the backline guys are, you know, the guitar techs, the drum techs have everything set up and they hand their guitars. And, uh, they just kind of pick between what the front of house engineer wants to hear in this, this, uh, you know, new room or venue and, uh, what the band feels like they need to run through. Um, it's usually about forty-five minute sound check. Oh um, wow! The artist, that's, that's... The artist, always never comes out unless he's doing a new song. Uh, so they always rehearse without the vocalist. Uh, band just runs through stuff, um, and then after that, the the stage is all for the opening acts. Uh, they can come out there and they can start setting up and doing their loading. So, okay. which I'm also helping now. That's kind of a new job. So I'm I'm kind of affiliated with three of the four bands that are in our lineup. Oh, nice, man! So I'm, I'm mixing monitors for our opening acts. Okay, okay, and now do do the do the opening acts? Do they have to supply more of their own equipment for some of this stuff, or are you just helping them kind of like marry what is essential to what you have already set up? Yeah, so uh, it can be. A combination of things. It it really depends on on artists' audio account. So by that I mean the physical, um, you know, like the artist that I work for is an account for uh, the audio company I work for. You know, they have a bunch of accounts, aka a bunch of different artists who rent from them. Uh, comp- there's other audio companies that do the same. So other artists can get put on our artist lineup. 
and uh, have a different audio company. So they have different packages for their artists. Uh, so their gear can be uh, a variety of things as well as their backline gear, you know, the guitars and stuff. Um, but it tends to be less. So what we call direct support, which is the artist that goes on right before the headliner, uh, they tend to have like two backline guys, two or three backline guys. Um, you know, it's typically two, you know, one guitar tech on each side. The drummer has to tech his own stuff. Um, and then they have one front of house engineer, one monitor engineer, and they have one lighting guy. Um, so if they need help, say they need power on stage, uh, which comes from us, um, they, we just run them a power line. Uh, but other than that, like, you know, we'll just physically drop them like power for them to get power for their gear. Yeah. Um, so they'll set up their monitor console and their front of house console also at front of house or, uh, house. Um, and they have their own snake as well to communicate wow. all their stuff. On that seems, uh, so, that seems inefficient on- though. Like, wouldn't it be more efficient yeah. just to have one person run the whole thing? Or is it is it that no, each band is that? Much. Artists do too many things, and they and they switch to different shows every year. Um, and like I said, the artist has, works with a different audio company. Um, so in the case of the artist that – so, and it also works on the stage. So basically, you know, you have our risers that are set up that have the drums, guitars, and stuff, amps, you know, that are already set up. So after our sound check, we cover all that up with sheets and stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Then, so then the direct support act, they get an hour for sound to load in and sound check. So they already got all their stuff set up backstage. So all they got to do is bring it out, set it on stage, and plug it in, you know, so that way they save time. But And switching semi-trucks in the back, that's a whole different game. That's, you know, our stage manager's job kind of. That's a, <laughs> a lot that goes into it, man. It's crazy. Uh, coordinating all that is is quite impressive um but so they build on top of us you know they push their drum riser in front of our drum kit and their guitars in front of our guitars i've always noticed yeah i've always noticed that like the headliner stuff is just there it's it's back there it's hidden or there's a curtain page yeah 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 and then everybody else has to set up and break down in front of that Yep, exactly. Um, so, and each uh, artist gets less changeover time. So, uh, when we when we found out that the artist that's going to be going on first and second is going to be handled by us, uh, the headliners, um, we said, okay, we'll take care of it. But then you have to tip us out every day. So now I get paid an extra, you know, X amount of dollars per day to mix monitors and carry a stereo package to take care of them for the day, which we build on top of the direct support. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, see, like that seems the route that I would prefer is like when I get there. Yeah. I'll just pay the guy that's already doing it to do it. <laughs> and, and that, that tends to be a budget thing, you know, but as you, as you, you know, get an increased budget because you've been doing this a while. Okay. Now you have your own semi truck for your gear. You know, a lot of opening acts, they have one bus, uh, they have one trailer and, uh, all their gear has to fit in that trailer and they have one monitor engineer. If they want to have lights happening on stage, they tip out one of the lighting engineers from one of the that other. That sounds crews. like me right there, man. That yeah. sounds like me. So perfect. Um, so <laughs> then as you get a bigger budget, you know, you, 
you get an engineer, you get a couple backline guys to tech your guitar stuff. You get a semi truck. Maybe you get two buses, you know, for, for everybody. Um, and you know, who you're going to be touring with can change from year to year. And the crew tends to stay the same. So that's kind of why you want to keep, you want to keep your, your own gear, your own crew guys, because then, you know, everything kind of stays in its home. You know, it's, it's easier managed that way um, versus trying to have one people or one group of people doing four different acts. I mean, I'm doing three of the four acts and it's almost a 16 hours day worth of work. You know, as, as people grow in this industry and you, you know, you get paid more to do more responsibility or get, you know, more, you get more responsibility. They work less, you know, they work way less, you know, if, if you're one of the engineers, like you can get people to just set up your console for you. You just come in and mix like that doesn't happen on our crew, but that happens on some tours. They get like, they'll get put on like a $200,000 a year retainer to, to be like, uh, I'm just going to throw a name out there. Like, um, or I should, but a, a big, a big name country. I, I will like, let me think of one. Gretchen Wilson. Um, <laughs> not big enough. Actually, no. Um, I would say more like Kenny Chesney. Okay, Kenny Chesney. Yeah, that's super big. Like, you're not really. Yes, his front house engineer, maybe, you know, $200,000 a year retainer. So he's spending one year not touring. And he's paying his front house engineer not to go on tour with anybody else because when he's ready to tour, he wants him. You know, because he knows. Oh, he's on a retainer. He's got Uh, it. You know. Yeah. So. Then he, then, you know, as he's, as you grow in this industry, you know, and you, and you get to be with an artist, you know, you kind of get those sort of benefits and you can kind of have a say where you're just like, okay, I'm going to, I want another crew to come set up up my console, plug everything in, and I'm just going to come in and mix the show and I'll leave before the last song is over. So that way I can beat the crowd and I'll let my system engineer mix the last show. Last, last, last and mix the encore, right? Yeah. Everybody's drunk yeah. anyway. Well, that, that tends to be all thought out. You know, they know if there's going to be an encore. There's always an encore. I've like never been not, to a sh- not in our not in our uh, camp. Man, <laughs> I would be disappointed if I didn't see an encore. Oh man. Anyway, uh, no. Um, so, what are you doing? We're pretty much to the show starts, right? Is that where we're at in your day? Um, You've just yeah, finished so sound check. Gets the stage for an hour, and then the two opening acts get a chance to set up and sound check. You know, it's it's like another hour or so, and then as soon as that happens, it's about six o'clock p.m. Doors open, so this is kind of my chance to go grab some dinner. You know, if I'm super sweaty because it's ninety degrees, you know, and I'm just you know running on stage all day. I might grab a quick shower. Uh, you know, call the wife, uh, see how she's doing, um, and then get ready for the show. The yeah, show um, starts at like eight, right? Usually. Um, well, no, opening bands are. Oh, opening act starts at seven twenty-five, and our artist goes on around nine. That's yeah. You're done at midnight, right? Nine thirty. You're done before midnight. Yeah. It's like eight thirty or eleven thirty, right? It's two and a half hours, probably. Well, we, no, we do an hour and a half set. He doesn't do a very long set. Okay. So yeah, he plays from about eight twenty-five to uh, last song drops at about eleven o'clock, and then we haul ass and we get out of there as fast as possible. Um, 
audio crew gets out of there in about 40 minutes, which is, is pretty insane to pack everything up and land the PA and get it into carts and load it in the semi truck and coordinate, you know, all these different departments are scrambling on stage to, you know, bring in the lights, uh, bring in the pyro. Yeah, I have noticed that. Like as soon as the show ends, like it's just a swarm of breakdown. Get the fuck out of the way. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) It's madness. How fast shit happens. Um, so, yeah, once everything's landed and packed up, then, you know, the rigging crew is the last crew uh, together because they, they go in first thing in the morning, 7 a.m., and they know all the points. They know where everything's going to be hung on the grid. Um, and so they have to work with the local riggers to be like, okay, so this is the ceiling. This is where we have beams. This is where we can hang shit. This is how much each beam is weighted. So they need to figure out how to distribute weight across the ceiling for our show. And so they'll like, okay, I'm going to hang one point over here, let it hang down about 16 feet, and then I'm going to take another point from over here so that I can distribute the weight load, hang it down 32 feet so that way I can move it over to this point on the floor two inches. Whoa. Like, it's crazy. So the rigger's going in the morning, and they put motors of different uh, weight um, weights so like you know you can do a half ton like counterweights right huh you mean like counterweights uh, the weight load that it's rated for how much oh. you can carry um because you know they're ultimately hooked up to a cable up in there and then uh you control it on the ground with a controller so that brings the chain the motor up and down so that's how i lower and raise all the pa i have six seven eight um wow i have nine motors for this stage left pa you only do so the I, left stage left yeah i have three on my main hang i have two on my subs and i have three on my side hang and i have one for a cable pick that brings all the cables and relieves them wow i do so, want to jump back a second though before the breakdown and just kind of tell me a little bit more about your your job during the show because we kind of um, went, we, we just kind of went so from like, what's that? Yeah, I mean, for the opening acts, it kind of starts, um, you know, I'm mixing monitors. So our RF coordinator gives me frequencies to use for my wireless packs. Um, and I hand those out to the artists right before the show. They go on and I mix the show in their ears um, while somebody else is mixing front of house for the opening acts. Um, and, you know, when they finish their set, it's a, fast changeover i run out on the stage grab all that shit bring it backstage and then run back behind my monitor desk to get ready to mix the next opening act they play for you know 30 minutes and then i run back on the stage like and you know we have stage hands that we're telling you know to do stuff that are helping us wrap up cables like you know you just tell them grab that stand grab that one grab that one i'll work on this like you do that and you know try and get off everything off the stage as fast as possible um, so that way the next band can, you know, get back on there and do their, do their quick silent sound check, make sure they got everything ready for their show. Um, so then the direct support plays. And then for our show, I used to be, uh, the backing track, uh, player or playback player. What's that mean? Uh, so our artist has a series of, um, you know, instrument tracks pre-programmed, um, that aren't being performed live um you know like whether it's like a percussion shaker or like you know oh yeah okay Um, and uh largely a click track um to keep everyone on 
Um, and then there's also uh, there's they, two other. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold have. on. I want to go back to this click track. Okay. Uh, um, is that something that they're hearing in their monitor? Yep, only in the monitor. It's not coming through the house. Yeah, I didn't. Well, yeah, I didn't think that. But uh, yeah, have you heard of this new? They have like a watch you wear, and it gives mm-hmm. it gives you a pulse in your in yeah. in your wrist. So well, instead of hearing it, you feel it. They do have two. Uh, they do have uh, uh, the drummer has a butt thumper, so every time he hits the kick, he feels it in his seat. Um, and then the bass player has one of his amps directly under the drum riser, right behind him, so that way he can feel his bass. But it's nothing really click track pulse. I mean, there's so much low end going in the room. I don't know if you'd feel it. If you, like, yeah, you know. Oh, I suppose I see. Yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. saw it like it's just like a little watch you wear, and it it like yeah. on the bottom of it, it'll pulse to whatever you know, whatever tempo you want, right? Yeah, and so yeah, I'm just curious. I don't know. I play punk, so I'm more interested in not staying on time and like speeding up as the song gets <laughs> faster and harder. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, phone charger real quick. No, I could definitely see how that would help. Uh, yeah, um, and there's there's actually two other nifty tracks that we have in our playback rig, uh, and one's a lyric track. Uh, in case the lead singer gets off or forgets a line, he can our monitor engineer can unmute it real quick and hear the line that he's supposed to be singing, and then you know it'll it'll bring him back almost by the end of the phrase or you know within a word. That's wow! That's so smart because yeah, I mean a lot of the times that how many times does anybody that practices music right when you're practicing by yourself? How often do you have headphones in and you're like? playing along with what you're just playing the part to what you're playing along with. Right. Right. And yeah. yeah, And if you can like summon that in your ear during a live performance without anybody knowing like, man, it's huge. Yeah. Because you know, he doesn't want to obviously be just list, you know, having the track be the vocal in the PA. No, but well, that, yeah, you would know that technology why not use it you know yeah people brain fart all the time you know even the best yeah and it goes back to you know like these people are coming here to have one of the best nights of their life i mean that's a lot of pressure on you know not just all everybody that's there but particularly whoever is you know the lead and so whatever technology can use i don't know Sorry, I'm just uh, aimlessly trying to walk around trying to find a phone. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Should have just, could have just been sitting down at your computer. Um, I found one. So what other, what, okay, so that kind of, I had like that as a question, like what kind of big snafus? Have you ever there had like any big audio, you know, issues that you've really had to like, oh man, this is what we had to do to troubleshoot it and we got lucky. Um, there was a moment where our artist was talking. So, um, when I, when I was doing this, so I'm not doing this this year, this tour, um, our, our drum tech is in charge of it. Um, so, but there was a time where, 
the drummer cued me to start a song. I started it, which starts with the count in, and then the artist kept talking, and so I quickly paused it because he wasn't ready for the song to start. So before any of the tracks could come through the speakers, I had stopped the song and let him finish talking, and then the drummer gave me a new cue to start it. But um, this is a time, actually, uh, when we were on... Um, this is pretty cool. When we were on uh, Jimmy Fallon, and Jimmy Fallon gave the cue to start the song, and I, I basically started the song right on top of him. And uh, I thought I, I started it too early, but listening back, it was actually, it worked great because the band, like the, the count-off was starting while Jimmy Fallon was still talking. And so, but then by the time the count-in finished and the band started, it was right when he finished his last word. Oh, okay. Wow. So, so like it, that made, me, that made me nervous, but, um, yeah, it, it worked out actually. Oh, so, but Fallon gave you the cue to start the band. Yeah. I had him in my, cause I have in ears uh, backstage. And so he was introducing the artist. He was like here to debut his new single off his new record. You know, here he is. And then the band's supposed to start. But if I wait till he finishes a phrase, you know, says the artist's name, and then I start the song, and you hear, ready, one, two. That's too long of a pause before the band to start playing. Yeah, you know? you're right. So I had to start the cue while he was still talking. Okay. That makes sense. So does that cue, does that just, that's what keeps the band on tempo, like, right? It's yeah, basically a and then there's into a click track. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I had to start the count off early enough to where the click track started, the band starts playing right when he finished his last word. Huh. Because you know, there is a bit of dead space every time you do a count off, you know. Dude, I give that click track to the drummer. What are you doing with it? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, and, uh, one other track that we have in our in our playback rig is as um, it's essentially a digital track. It's called Simpty. It runs Simpty Timecode, uh, and Timecode is you know basically to keep all your equipment in sync. Uh, so like you know, for example, your timecode for this movie is going to be thirty frames per second. So that way, all your equipment knows you know, to operate at this speed for, cause there's different frame rates for, for stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the video, uh, the video department, the lighting department, the audio department is all saying, okay, we're going to be on, uh, 30 frames per second for our time code. And the master, the master clock that's running the machines is going to start from my playback rig because I'm basically starting the songs. So it makes sense for all the other gear to listen to my rig, you know, Sure. So when I start my rig, this Simpty track goes to audio, goes to audio consoles, goes to the lighting console, goes to the video consoles, and it fires the um, the video that's going to play in sync with the song on the big screen. It's going to play in sync with all the lights that you know go into the show. And you know when there's hits like the drum and the bands. You know, yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, it's coming from Simpty track, um, and the audio engineers. There's also different EQ presets for different songs and different volumes, you know, to, to change the energy of a song. You know, maybe you want the, the kick 
the kick to be a little bit more up in the song and the bass to be up more. Or, you know, maybe you want a wetter vocal on this song, more reverb. So the Simpty fires snapshots that the digital consoles can save. So you can have a snapshot for each song. And when the console gets a Simpty time code that says, right now we're at one hour, 25 seconds. Oh, I have a snapshot for one hour, 25 seconds that fires when that when it hears that Simpty and it'll mix that song. Or, or the lighting will will fire the lights in, in accordance to the tempo of that song, uh, or the you know, like I said, the video display will will play. So, um, how so, do you how do you sync that with the actual band? Um, so, basically, the there's a there's a video team that takes the recordings of his songs and they come up with a video just. Just like lighting guy uh, programs a light show for this song. So the song's the same every time they play it, right? Yeah. And because we have a click track, the tempo's exactly the same. So when you have a display change, it's always going to be at the same rate as the band plays because they play to a click. So uh, when that Simpty fires into those consoles, um, each Simpty, as we call time code, but it's basically a... Uh, an hour marker. Um, so, you know, this song is starts at hour marker one, one hour and five minutes. Okay. And we have this song that starts at one hour and 10 minutes. And then we have, now it doesn't necessarily have to be a five minute song, but, um, I, the Simpty, the Simpty track for each song is, is digitally encoded to, to, to tell those machines what time it is, essentially. So you you pick a song, right? And yeah. I, and I put it into to the playback rig. I put all the uh, you know the shaker part, the acoustic guitar part, um, maybe uh, um, I don't know a weird little guitar effect, uh, as well as a click track and a Simpty time code. Now that audio file, that Simpty time code, I've used another software and said this song. Uh, I need to create a Simpty time code for one hour and 35 minutes because that's when this song is going to start. All the other departments can start programming their machines and be like, okay, when mine gets an audio file that has an encoded uh, hour marker of one minute or one hour and 35 minutes, it's going to display this video. That oh, I so like the, the, the time marker is just its identification. It has nothing to do with time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I got it now. And you just use yeah, time. It, you just use time to keep them in order. And yeah, yeah it so simplifies it. This session that I have is about you know a five-hour session. It's not five hours worth of music because there's a song at every ten-minute marker. So that way we can we can tell everybody. All right. So this new song he's coming out with, we're going to add it to the end of the session. It's going to be at three hours and fifty-five minutes. So that way, when their machines get a Simpty time code with the t- with the frames per second at thirty, it's going to display this at the correct speed. Ah, man, I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty in depth, man. It's pretty crazy how how uh, shows are run these days. You know, it's there's a lot of science. <laughs> man, it's really cool. What about pyrotechnics? Do you have any of those? Yeah. Um, so that that's not programmed. That um, it is requires that so, you know a lighter. 
that have gas lines and you know little boxes throughout the stage and physically push in a series of buttons to fire those on cue. Okay, so they're using yeah, but that gas is brought that's external, right? So yeah. they they're they're setting up cylinders under stage somewhere, right? And then uh no, they just they just lean up they're they're throughout the stage. They're like ratchet strapped to like a video truss or a lighting truss. Just a bunch of uh, there's tank there's little oh, propane tanks everywhere. Uh, uh yeah, there are. <laughs> Yeah, there would be like three big tanks just ratchet strapped to this lighting truss, you know, stage left, and then same thing, stage right. And then you go down in the pit, you know, where the, the you know, audiences and our subs, our sub arrays. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of tanks down there. Wow. Just and, firing off pyro and cryo. Or ky- cryo, smoke? I think it's cryo. Is it's that cryo. what the, the fake smoke is? Yeah. Okay. So you do like tons of fake smoke. Yeah. And I mean, there's only a few hits. Um, you know, it's not like the whole show is pyro. It's like, you know, a song here and there, there's some fire hits to make it cool. Um, but that is something that happens throughout the day is the fire department, look at the fire department has to come in and they have to do a pyro test to, you know, just show what we got. And, you know, there's also a bomb dog that comes through every day. We got to clear the stage depending on the training of the dog, you know, be like, okay, we got an excited dog today. Everybody's got to clear the stage so we can sniff around. Um, or else we'll have like, no, he's fine. Everybody can go out their business and, you know, we'll just have a puppy coming around and sniff everything. No, you've never had like any, like, Hey, we got to delay things because we've had a phone call or a, Not really. never, weather. no threats, threats of violence against, against your, your I crowds. Mean, yeah. I don't know. We had somebody in high school, right? There's a bomb in the locker on, in lipstick and on a mirror. And then, you know, oh, wow. and then everybody has to leave school because, yeah, somebody wrote on a mirror in the bathroom. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was that pretty horrifying incident that, that happened a few, few years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's never been any threats per se. Um, always just been like, you know, fights out in the crowd crowd you know just one drunk asshole to another you know getting kicked out there was one uh because i periodically talk to our uh, head of security um just about shit that's going on in the crowd and it's always so amusing man um there was one where this this 14 year old boy left left the show because his girlfriend dumped him and his parents didn't want to leave so he, he, there was no re-entry so he was just stuck outside the gates for for the whole show i was like man poor kid like 14 <laughs> those, are some, those are tough years man those are hard waters to navigate you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he was making a big scene so you know security had to go step in but yeah i mean but then there's guys who uh you know, who jumped stage or um, people that try to, you know, get past security by running really fast and try and get backstage. Uh, there was there was a time where um, his cousin, actually, our artist's cousin, was his bodyguard for a while, and he was a big dude. Uh, his, his code name was Ryan because um, he, was, he was huge. So he, uh, he was standing right uh, between, you know, the – the, the pit and backstage and this guy was testing him you know he was jerking in front of him like oh i'm gonna get past you and this guy's like 
all right, man. So so he fucked with the man. He looked away, pretending not to pay attention. And this guy went for it. He clotheslined his ass and knocked him out cold. <laughs> like there's there's some crazy shit that happens down there. Or uh, you know, this one. Um, you know how in the front of the stage there's that you know part of the stage that shoots out into the crowd. Uh, that's called a thrust. Oh yeah, um, it, the yeah the the where you strut. Yeah, you got to strut out. Yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, we were in, I think we were in Canada, and this oh this this big old woman climbed the thrust, and she chased him down the thrust, and he didn't know that he was behind her because he was coming back to the stage. Yeah, he was walking and back. Our security guy, man, he's he's huge. If you blink, you would have missed it. He ran across the stage, scooped her up, and just ran to the other side. Like, it was... Before it was, she could be... Yeah. And dude turns around, like, didn't nothing even happen, didn't know anything was there. Yeah. No, he didn't even know that that chick was on stage. It happened so fast. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. Oh, man. I don't know if... You kind of got a good spot. You don't want to be being chased by fat ladies on the thrust do you no man (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's some pretty wild fans out there that's for sure people go crazy oh man uh have you ever seen any fans with tattoos from their from the artists that you're working for uh, I haven't seen that, but man, I, I bet you it's out there. I, I can guarantee that's yeah, out there. That's a crazy thing. There's some pretty gnarly fans. I don't know. I always, I don't have a black flag tattoo, but I've always, you know, those four bars. Um, I don't think so. Okay. No. Yeah. You definitely know it if you saw it. Like, so black flag is, okay. is it was Henry. Well, Henry Rollins, I think was like the second singer. I don't want to get too technical into the black flag history. I'll get called out on some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) The punk rock band from LA, but like their logo is those four solid black bars that are offset. I know, you know what I'm talking about, but it's like a very iconic tattoo. Just, I I just thinking about musical tat. Like there's a lot of people that get different bands and, parts of music tattooed on yeah them. yeah you're yeah. not a tattoo guy though so no you know yeah do you got any tattoos yeah i got one inside my arm i uh i i just scheduled my uh, or scheduled my waiting list for my half sleeve oh wow okay so oh, there you go should be some next year you do just like skulls and naked chicks and fire right that's it man actually the chicks with skulls and yeah, they're completely naked. naked and fire coming out of their tits. Dude, that yeah, that's the only thing you need for like a really good tattoo. I mean, especially like if you're yep. in, if you play music and stuff. So you still do you still play? Do you get an opportunity to play and create? Uh yeah, I do. I mean, it's man, living in Nashville, it's really hard to keep up. You know, I I definitely kind of. Lost my my drumming chops and you know I still play though I you know it's kind of more as a hobby than uh, you know as a profession uh, but yeah I'll still have buddies over where we'll jam or if I'm uh, working on a song um, for an artist like if I'm producing or engineering it you know sometimes I'll just be like you know it kind of needs this little drum part in here or like it'd be cool if we played around with these chords on the guitar and you know I'll just kind of rough it in and. 
bring it over to the guitar player and be like, Hey man, so what do you think of this? You know, you know, if you like this kind of idea, maybe you should cut it, you know, with your, your hand since, you know, tones in the hand Yeah. Um, with, you know, with your guitar and your setup, you know? Um, so yeah, it really depends on, you know, kind of what I'm feeling, but I got every, I got a space where I got everything set up, thankfully. So, you know, I can kind of pick things up as needed. Um, that's and, nice. Yeah. Man. I do a lot of mixing. So I do a lot of, um, studio work on the side. Sure. Do you, so, um, do you do any professional recording? I mean, like current, I, I know um, you said you're, you're mainly touring I now. Mean, right. Yeah. I'm mainly tour. Um, but you know, I haven't done any records for famous artists. I've been on pretty big projects, but I wasn't the engineer for them. Uh, I was kind of more of an assistant. Um, so I was part of like setting up for the session and, you know, making sure everybody has what they need. The mics are placed, you know, um, Simple. everybody has, you know, headphone mixes that, you know, are easily accessible and legible, you know, so that way people can communicate easier and, um, dial in mixes. Um, but I was I wasn't the lead engineer in those sessions. But yeah, I've worked with you know a handful of amateur artists that I've been you know the lead engineer for. Um, so yeah. you got you got anything of, that you've recorded yourself? Where's, oh, yeah. where's Rob's mix, man? Oh, like my my own songs? Yeah, you said you're a songwriter, man. I gotta I gotta assume that you've recorded something by now. Well, I mean, I did more songwriting in high school, really. But I'm during the pandemic, I've actually started playing more and kind of come up coming up with just kind of uh, like instrumentation because um, I've never really been much of a lyricist. I I don't have a way with words. <laughs> I know, but you got a good voice. Oh, thanks, man. You do, um, you do. You have a good, you have a great singing voice. Like I, I don't know, man. I was like. When you were doing that battle of band shit, I was very confident, like uh, that you, yeah, you were gonna fly. You were gonna fly. Oh, um, yeah. But uh, no, I did. I, I honestly just probably have a bias, but I enjoyed your. I, yeah, I enjoyed it when you get when you would sing and, and play back in back in the day. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but I have noticed that though that like the words don't actually really sometimes i don't know a lot of times the words don't mean shit <laughs> you're just singing I words louis Lua. and <laughs> I, uh, I guess you know sometimes i have a tough time getting over that myself because i completely agree with you i'll listen to a song and i'll be like i have no fucking clue what he's saying but this is awesome you know yeah. or like the words would just be buried in there um you know and, you know, again, you don't really know what they're saying, but it's just a cool melody, cool instrumentation, and, you know, uh, a, a good feel. And, you know, you're into it, you know? Yeah. But when I'm writing a song, it's almost like, for me, it has to make sense. And I think that's been a tough hurdle, hurdle for me and more of a realization during the pandemic to be like, you know what? Screw it. Like, you know, I shouldn't focus on the uh, imperfections. You know, I should just, you know, go with what flows and, you know, if, if it's not great, cool. Um, if, if it is even better, you know, but it's, it takes a handful of bad experiences to maybe come up, come up with something that's, you know, pretty decent. So I think it's maybe the perfectionist in me that, um, almost can't get started on a project if I don't know that I can complete it the best, you know, and I know I have, I have that same problem. Now, 
What's that? I have ex- I've had that same issue my whole life, man. Like, yeah. like you know what it's supposed to be or what it could be, but you don't have the time nor ability to put the effort into that. And like, you're like, well, I'm never going to do it because I can't, because I don't have the, I don't have the motivation to make it perfect. So I'm just not going to do anything right. with it. And yeah. I don't know, maybe it's in just, it feels in the last like two, three years, really. Like I've realized like everybody kind of thinks that way. So most people don't do shit. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so now I just start doing shit and I don't care how it comes out. Like, man, hell yeah, man. I think that's a great way to live. I'm man. And I, it's like everything is a at practice. The end of the day, honestly, man, the people who are the most successful make the most mistakes because they try the most things. Yeah, you know? there's there's like a whole science to like failing as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, you got to have grit I mean, too, something weird like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's there's it's definitely a hurdle for a lot of people to to try and master that or not even master it, you know, just just get over the mentality of it, you know. Who cares? Just try it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um more recently than ever, like, I'm like, oh, if it takes more than thought, because a lot of times I have, here's my issue, is I'll sit down and I'll think about doing something a lot. And because I've thought a lot about it for a real long time and every little detail, there's a part of me that feels accomplished. Right? Yeah. But, like, all right, step but, one, done. But I didn't do shit. And, but, but then there's the, like, because I got the sense of accomplishment last time from just thinking about it a lot, maybe this time I'll just think about it a little more. (laughs) Make sure it's really well thought. Yeah. And, and man, and then by then, if I haven't done anything, then I'm just thinking about something else. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's uh, well said, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, what do they say? Make hay or some stupid shit like that. But uh, give me a number. Give me another number, Rob. I got the book of questions for you. Uh, I think it only goes to like two something. Oh, I said 28. 28. Okay. What is your most treasured memory? Damn. Oh, dude. Come on, dude. You just had a kid. (laughs) That's such a gravy answer. Once you have kids, it's like, (laughs) all the day my baby was born. But it's like, it's like this whole memory of, of the entire process, man. It's, it's such a trip. But yeah, I mean, the moment of him being born, I think I was flooded with so many emotions. I mean, I cried as soon as I saw him. I just broke down and cried because I was sure. so happy. You know, um, you know, maybe a little bit. You know, I don't know if words the right word. No, like, the, it became really real. That the, you know, the best dis- the best way I've heard it explained is that it's like a piece of your heart out walking around, and that it can be injured. <laughs> Like oh, that's really yeah, yeah. And, it, and then you're just like, oh, shit, there's a piece of my heart out walking around and it does whatever it wants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's it's I love it. I love being a dad. Yeah, it's you so you're yeah, and I think Dave Chappelle said that like it doesn't increase your love, but your actual capacity. Like you you like have the ability to love more than you ever have before. Like like yeah. like when you're playing Mega Man and you get one of those things that allows you to get more power. <laughs> it doesn't just fill you fill your power but it like extends the the amount of what you can get <laughs> yeah that's it man i just uh equated childbirth to mega man just like yeah. that <laughs> no um no i'm very excited for you man like you and your brother you like we all have kids and we're all like grown-ups now but dude it's it's crazy that like we're like becoming the people that when we always hung out was like you know our aunts and uncles oh weird i didn't think of it like that <laughs> like i just i just thought of like me as like the grown-ups at your i for some reason i always go to your parents house Cause it was your yeah. parents have like a really big house that was that they custom built, super nice. Um, but they had the intention of holding family gatherings there, and it was awesome for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and so yeah, a lot of the it goes either there or Betty and Vern's down the road. Obviously, yeah. those are yeah. kind of like the only two places. Okay. <laughs> Every once in a while, we'd go to, you know, Janelle's. Yeah. Yeah, a few times. A few times. Yeah. No, but... um, It's crazy to think that we're kind of in the making of that generation, you know. Now, we have kids to up and, like, be like, oh, man, I can't wait for the family gatherings for me to see, you know, the other people my age and see what they're liking you know what games that they want to play and you know while we all just sit around and talk (laughs) (laughs) no i don't know my man i got a big thunderstorm rolling in i hope if i lose power we lose power but uh okay no i man i'm like i feel like i went to college for a lot of a long time and i'm like i have like you know kind of like the smarts of a college professor but the attitude of like a 14 year old that just had his bike stolen and and so it's not really conducive for society at this point in time i don't know i just realized that i've been fucking lied to by a lot of grown-ups my whole life and i like i grew up like liking skateboarding but none of the grown-ups liked it like anybody that ever printed a no skateboarding sign ever fuck you if you ever put one up or bolted a or bolted a no skateboarding sign anywhere fuck you all right you're an asshole (laughs) i saw one of those in my buddy's garage i saw no skateboarding sign my buddy's garage the other day it was you know he stole it from wherever somebody had to make that and i was like what a bunch of assholes yeah, like somebody I, had to make that and buy that sign. And I don't know, maybe that's just my own like individual like really specific experience that I can point at, but it was something that these lying fucking grown-ups made me believe that I couldn't do forever. That I mm-hmm. couldn't that that 
I couldn't always enjoy that I would grow up and that that's a kid's toy like that. Yeah. Right. And well, there's definitely a big shift in awareness between generations. Oh yeah. Like, like what you're expected to do with life, you know, what do you mean? And it just like, think about our, our grandparents, right? Like the whole, the whole idea of life is to, you know, get a job and support your family, right? There's the man's roles and there's the woman's roles. Then our parents, they're like, okay, well, you know, it's kind of more open. Like, you know, do I need to go to, like, or I should, I shouldn't say school, but you know, cause back then people would drop out of school just to help the family. You know, yeah. schooling wasn't that important, but the job was important. You're, the idea is to go get a good job, get a good job, support your family, right? Yeah. And now uh, our parents' generation was kind of more, you know, school. You know, you could go on to college and you could learn more if you wanted to. But still the idea is to kind of make a better life for yourself while getting a job. And, you know, there was this idea of right and wrong and what you were supposed to be when you're an adult. And, like, as the time goes on, it's kind of more like, who cares? You know, like if you want to get a job, get a job. If you don't want to go to school, don't go to school. Like don't, you don't need to go to school anymore. Like if you want to, you yeah. can. I'm going to pay a bunch know, of money to look at the internet. <laughs> there's not the path that everybody needs to take anymore. You know, there's not this one size fits all, you know, there's more of that awareness. Like you can do whatever you want to do, you know, but before it was like, there was this an association where like, Oh, and you get, you got tattoos. Like, Oh, you're this kind of person. You know, or like, oh, you skateboard, you know, whatever. Like, and now, no, like everybody's, you know, got tattoos of skateboarding. You know, know, it doesn't matter. Like, no one cares. It's like, exactly. You know, walk into a doctor's office and you see this tattoo upper arm and who cares? You know, yeah. like that doesn't affect, doesn't affect who they are. Like they, they can still be this kind, you know, sympathetic or empathetic person and respectful, like, so like just because of I'm into something that has doesn't tell you think about who I am, you know? Yeah. And I feel like definitely more of an awareness from generation to generation. Um, and like our parents and especially our grandparents, I don't think had that as much. They were more of this one size fits all like, um, or like, you know, even, even if, Oh, you're gay, you know, but now, you know, no one cares. Like this is 2021. Yeah. Be gay. You yeah. Know? Be happy, you know, no one cares. But, you know, our parents, like, they had this, you know, weird, weird predetermined, you know, judgment about whose personal is just because of this one, you know, identifier. Yeah, it's so obnoxious, and I, uh there's a, there's a way to do everything you want to do and be happy, you know? I know, then what the fuck am I re- rebelling against, you know what I mean? Like, wh- why am I... <laughs> Uh, I don't well, know. I, 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 you were definitely rebelling. I know, but I just have like now it doesn't. It doesn't I have like residual either. angst. I know it doesn't matter. I just I'm just not but, trying to pass on any of that residual angst to to the next generation. Remember what I said earlier about the Battle of the Bands and how long they lasted? How what I thought about that as a kid still sticks with me as an adult because that's my memory of it. And same way with how you feel as a kid, you know, I'm sure you like, it's crazy. I think about this sometimes kids who picked on me in school will always be bigger to me in my mind. Even as an adult, 
Yeah, I remember that Tony kid punched me in the face for no reason. But now that you're an adult, dude, he's not very. Things have changed, you know. (laughs) Who knows? But in your head, man, you still live with that child mentality because I mean that's who you were. That's what you knew, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's helpful. I think what you just said there was pretty helpful, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Um, All right. No, I'm. I I can't. uh, can't put my finger on it right now. You know what I mean? I've been trying to, but it's, uh, I've noticed myself, like when I'm alone, when I'm by myself, I'm arguing against like a lot of different people in the world about all different types of things. But then when I'm talking to regular people or in front of regular people, it's, I'm not arguing with anybody. So like, I think it's psychology. That's called the narrative. The yeah, yeah. What, what like you, you you give yourself a predetermined narrative of something that doesn't exist. Like you you assume a situation is going to be a certain way. You tell yourself a story. You yeah. give yourself a narrative of something that's not real, and it happens with relationships all the time. It's like you know they looked at me this one way, and now all of a sudden and brain's gone off in this one direction, giving myself this own narrative. Oh, well, you know, maybe this is happening because of the you know chores I didn't do yesterday and all this stuff. Like, but she does she really care about that? Like, why can't we just have like you know you go off in this crazy tangent and you give yourself this narrative, something that doesn't even exist? Yeah, and I can catch myself, and and like a lot of my problems is my narrative goes deep, like where like yeah I'm def- defending my door with a shotgun from the police, like within five seconds of like uh. Of of an any yeah, <laughs> my brain's wild, dude, and you know, like oh, I got this letter in the mail, like instantly, like police are at my door, and I'm with the shot, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll die on this yeah. hill, I'll die on this hill, <laughs> and, and it's like no, you overpaid your water bill last month, and so we are giving you a. $10 credit, you know, like, I'll die on this hill. Why are you making me overpay? No, I'm not that crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's like a preconceived or like some sort of constructive narrative that you're creating in order to, I feel as it's like, I currently have no problem to solve. Let me create one in my mind and then solve it artificially. But, let me attach to it emotionally and then feel negatively about it. Yeah, man. It could also <laughs> be the the longing or the need for answers. You know, we don't like to leave things open-ended. And so if we have something that's open-ended, we might just fill in the blank because we need an answer. You know, we can't just, we can't just let that thought be unanswered and disappear into space. Fuck no. Oh man. Like, we, we need we need a solution to that, you know. I don't know. I feel like I have more answers now than I've ever had in my life. Obvious. Well, I mean, I guess that's the the nature of aging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But sure, man. But I mean, I I one hundred percent could expect that you and I have completely different mindsets. You know, just we're just we're different people and we're at different ages. We've experienced different things. You know. Nah. Ah. Uh, I'd say we got a lot more in common. Than differences, right. 
I'd say we have a lot more in common than we do differences. Fucking get the same last name. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, a lot, of, a lot of DNA in our blood. That's the same. No, one of my uh, earliest memories, or I don't know. I would just say my, like back to the book, like what's your fondest memory or most treasured memory? I was just going to say like my most treasured memory of Rob. I don't know. I got a couple of them though, but they're all from when you're like in fifth grade. Like, well, dude, I got back from I got back from Iraq the from my first deployment, and I bought my uh, Colorado my pickup truck. Yeah, and uh, bought a brand new pickup I truck. Cool shit! When you came, when you pulled up, dude, to I I am I'm going to pick it up tomorrow for my buddy who just put a brand new clutch and windshield in that. Man, <laughs> so happy you still have that thing. Yeah, so this is the first time it's had a clutch. It had a the original clutch on it. But uh, yeah. um, anyway, anyway uh, yeah, and I came down to your. You were in fifth grade, and I came to your school in my uniform, or um, and one of your class, one of your classmates asked me if I blew some people up. <laughs> I'm glad. I don't like, like, yeah, I, that, I I just remember your teacher interrupting before I could even say anything, so it was fine. But uh, yeah. yeah, I was definitely like waiting for that question. I just didn't expect it as like that specific, you know? Yeah, because you could just yeah. be like, well, technically, no, <laughs> did not blow anybody apart. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Did I see people blown apart? Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Like, but what do you tell a fifth grade class? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I, that day was was so special. And man, that was just I I don't know. I, I can only talk from my perspective, but man, you're you're like a superhero, you know, like Dude, I gotta feel I gotta be honest, dude. I was so nervous. I was like super nervous. Um, yeah. Well, I'll say this. Like okay, okay. To start, like, if you're wearing a uniform that's not just camouflage in the Marine Corps, like, they kind of drill it into you that you should have like the most impeccable uniform ever, and then nothing can be out of place. And so, like, while in uniform. There's this like buried anxiety about like some imperfection that I missed. Mm. Yeah. Like, so whenever okay. you're wearing your uniform, there's, and like, and if you're a very detailed oriented person like I am, you're very, very aware of any imperfection that is in your uniform. And like, yeah. so like, that's all you're focused on and you're just nervous. Like, Oh, am I going to see an old timey Marine from Vietnam? And he's going to be like, Hey, why is this fucked up? Like, that's yeah. what that I'm not thinking about, like talking about fifth graders. I'm thinking about like being confronted by grownups about my uniform. And that's what's, isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, why? What, like, what, what, do you know why? Like what, what's the reason? That's just for, the for standards this? they put on you for wearing your uniform as a Marine. Like, is it the, just to, to keep everything like keep you on your toes all dude, the time? Or? Like, like the way that Making your creased pants, like 
when you're standing upright, you should have three quarters of an inch of the welt of your heel of shoe showing up from your pants. Like that's how like precise it is. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so you know this, but at the same time, it, you don't take all the effort to learn everything. And yeah, I don't know. I'm getting a little sidetracked on the details of wearing a Marine Corps uniform. But as a grunt that didn't wear that uniform, I wore camouflage every day as a grunt. And so not wearing a, grunt? a ground unit. So I was infantry. Okay. Um, infantry. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so... You wear camouflage every day, and so when you have to put on a dress uniform, whatever, there's different variations. Um, I think I wore like one of my fa- my favorite one, which is like the I want to say I'm gonna get it wrong, and somebody will call me out on it. I think it's the Delta. It's the blue pants and the tan T-shirt. Or it's, a, it's a tan button-up okay. um, with yeah. the with the white cover. Uh, it looks better after you become a non-commissioned officer, a corporal, or a lance cor- or a corporal, or a sergeant, or in above, because then you get the red stripe down the side of the blue pant. Man, slick, slick. Either way, um, yeah. I was yeah, I was more concerned. I, I don't know. I felt I, I'd already I'd been in the Marine Corps for a, over a year. Yeah, well over a year, and had done my first deployment to Iraq, and coming to this my cousin's fifth grade class with like literal like souvenirs from the war like i had an iraqi yeah. flag and a helmet and shit like <laughs> some cool yeah. stuff yeah i had some cool stuff um i felt like an imposter it, believe it or not like like you did really do it or you weren't you weren't really over there or what do you mean I was just too new still. Gotcha. I think I was still like, yeah. I think I was still a private first class. Like I wasn't a Lance corporal. Yeah. Maybe that would have been it. I don't think I was a Lance corporal yet because here's the thing. Once you're a Lance corporal in the Marine Corps, you can basically like be a new Marine or an old Marine. It's like a rank where you blend in. Um, okay. And so if I wasn't that yet, then I wouldn't have felt like I could just blend in and it would have still made me feel new. And I think that's might of where I was. I don't think I picked gotcha. up yet. Maybe I did. I don't know. I mean, it was definitely new. I, I do remember some of the letters though, that we wrote and the, <clears throat> the, um, lizard and scorpion fight Maximus. Oh yeah, yeah! Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I guess I wrote. Sorry, <laughs> man. I can't tell you yeah. though. Like, if it means a lot, it meant a lot. Anybody that anybody that's overseas in the military or anybody that's incarcerated, like, if you get a letter, if you can't talk on the phone and you get a letter, like, that shit's your birthday. It's Christmas, man. It's the best stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was such a always a weird subject for me because I wanted to know so much about like what you were going through, but I didn't know how to ask it. <clears throat> no, yeah. but you're cool. Like, I mean, I've always been a pretty open <laughs> book with people about stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I've talked. I, I know, like, I've had a bunch of guys on my show already that I've served with. Um, some others, like, that went, like, uh, one episode with Tommy and the Time Traveling Cats. Like, he was a Marine sniper. You know, he was in Afghanistan. I know that's in the news right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of friends, you know, that I served with. But, I mean, yeah, I did... I don't know if I really talked about like what I did. I did three tours um, to Iraq and starting with the invasion, we spent a month in Kuwait before we invaded. And then uh, I went back each subsequent year, but I didn't do the long one year or 13 month deployments like the army did. Like our first deployment was only like a little over four months. And then we came back and then we went to Japan for a little bit and then we went back over for like another five, six months, you know, and then we came back and we went back for seven months. And so like, yeah, yeah the deployments were, were broken up, but still spent a lot of time in the sandbox. Um, yeah, man. I, I remember, I remember your, your dad like complaining about how often you had to be deployed when there were people who have not been deployed once or, I think, didn't he make the news? Yeah, my dad was, like, big on, like, attracting the media to him. Um, oh, okay. And so, yeah, and he was... I mean, I remember being super worried. I was so worried. I had four months felt like five years. Like, and I I, I was riding that wave that, that your dad was. I was like, yeah, this is fucked up. Like, I'm I'm so angry. I don't want, you know, I don't want my cousin to go away, you know? <laughs> Really? So, like, yeah, I know my dad was upset, like, because he's like, what? you Like, when he found out I had to go back a third time, he was fucking not happy. And, um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I just took it in stride. Like, why would I want to go without my, without my boys? Like, yeah, I just saw it as I signed up for four years. This is part of the four years. Like, I don't know. And the more you know, often I went the like looser I got with things, obviously, because like you at some point, yeah, you stop being scared. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I was, I was wondering that, like, do you, do you reach that point? Like, yeah, or definitely, especially you out your- well, and for me, it was more like knowing you kind of intrinsically know, like, let's say there's eight guys, you intrinsically know who of the eight is most valuable to more people back home. Okay. Right? Damn. Yeah, and you guys, I mean, I can't imagine how close you guys were. Yeah, and so you You know, know, like, oh, dude just had a baby last week. I'm not going to let you do this thing. I'm going to go do it, okay? Like, that was a real thing. Like, we would know, like, yeah, you know, dude has a wife and two kids, this other guy, like, or, you know, me and Will, we don't, you know, we're not married, we don't have kids, like, fuck it, we'll go and do that stupid shit, right? And yeah, that was there, that was there, but then there was also, like, the experience, like, where you have younger guys that that are more hesitant, like you were, and you know that that hesitation can be a liability. And so, yeah. So once you've learned that hesitation, more worried. 
well hesitation itself like should i do this or shouldn't i or should i just run in and do it right right like hesitating can get you killed right and um and so when you get to a point where like you have new guys under you that you know because you know everybody you're like this guy's gonna like i don't want him to hesitate here and yeah yeah. And you you don't like what I'm saying is like you don't even you don't hesitate to the point that you don't have time to think about like that guy like you just, you just do. Act. Yeah, and then you're just showing them how it's done really at that point. Um yeah. just leading by example. But I mean is there is there a different like I'm I can't imagine being in the military like how many different types of people there are, but I, I hear like, you know, there's some people who are just born to be in the military. There's some people that do it for different reasons. There's some people that, you know, go into it more scared or whatever. Like, I'm just curious about like the different types of people that man, you it's, encounter. it's every type of person you can ever imagine. There's all kinds of shitty people that are veterans. Like the title of a veteran is it's, it holds a pretty high status, for the number of people, and I'm not trying to shit on veterans, <laughs> but but for the yeah. number of people that are just regular people that, do you know what I mean? Like, dude, there's there's some awesome guys who are brilliant war fighters, you know, that I would love to fight side by side anybody with, but I wouldn't trust them with my wife or my wallet. You know what I mean? Like... yeah like like they're they're they essentially found their calling they're like kind of military lifers or no well not everybody no because you can find just as hard of a war fighter that's you know as honest as a boy scout and so that's not what i'm saying like it's just all walks man all walks come from the military and so like If somebody's ever like telling you they're a veteran in order to get some sort of recognition, like you probably shouldn't give it to them. No, that, I mean, that, <laughs> that's never no, you know what I mean? Just- like if you meet somebody and they just want to be very forthright about all of their service. No, but- I, I'm more so I'm just thinking about like, you know, as you encounter different situations while in the service, how different people react different ways. You know, like some people are, you know, maybe more scared about certain. No, but you know, you, you, it's not like, uh, what's that movie? Tomorrow war. Or did you watch that? Oh, dude, you watch the tomorrow war. Anyway, they just drop a bunch of people in together that don't know each other. Right. And they're like, here, work, work together to accomplish this mission. That's not what it's like. You, like it's it's tighter than college. It's tighter than a college dorm because you go to all the classes together. Then train together. Right? You then yeah you yeah, but together. you do classes as well. You okay. you do yeah. Part of training is classroom education. Like you have to learn about what you're doing and then you take it to the field. Like so, it's both. Okay. Um, and then you spend time in the armory. Uh, and you spend time shooting all kinds of stuff. You know. Um, but you get to know each other because you're living with each other and you get to know who you hate and who you don't and, 
everything in between and you like hanging out with these other these two other cats from this other platoon you know even though you don't work with them all the time stuff like that and so because you know everybody so well when you go overseas to fight like you you know each other like in and out so yeah you kind of become blood well that and you don't ask anybody to do something that you know that they're not going to accomplish or be good at like you're going to know the guy that would be best for the job and you'll be like hey you me and this guy and you do that like yeah yeah Yeah. and there were like little clicks like that like yeah they're you know i mean sometimes they were made by however the unit was organized but like, yeah, this these two fire teams out of this company right here, these guys are legit. Like, we send these guys to do these special tasks for us because we know that they mm. they can do them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so, there's a lot of humanity involved in it. I mean, a lot more than you would yeah. think. Especially, I like, mean, that's why I say I can't. I can't even possibly fathom. You know the the emotions that are all tied into this, you know, and how well you get to know somebody like, well, I mean, you get a radio, you get a radio call. Hey, we need to send a patrol out to go check out this abandoned truck that just got left on this road. And then so-and-so is like, Hey, take your crew out. He's like, Hey, my crew just went out, man. He was like, ask so-and-so. And then so-and-so takes the crew out and then the, you know, and something bad happens, right? Like there's, you don't know like there's so many just it, it's very human it's very very human uh yeah. war fighting Man. yeah i can't believe what's going on now i don't even want to talk about it honestly i don't know i did you hear jacko willink got on the news do you know who jacko willink is i do all right yeah former navy seal like just he is like the most badass motherfucker that ever lived. I think I don't really know anybody more badass that's real. Maybe like a, a Spartan, you know, from like three hundred yeah. three hundred AD or whatever it is. Um, maybe it's BC. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna look it up. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it's hard for me right now to even want to put any energy into the thought of it because I know so many people. I know, I know people that aren't with us anymore that went to Afghanistan. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's really hard for me to like put any kind of emotional energy towards it, other than observation at this point. Yeah, I, that's yeah how I keep myself detached. Yeah. Um. I did get a phone call. We are, there is more, uh, there's like for the next six weeks, there's two times a week group counseling for vets, um, specifically aimed at what's going on right now. Like I got a phone call. Hey, we're, we're doing group sessions twice a week right now for this. Yeah. Yeah. Like not something I would have thought of, but I appreciate, you know? Yeah. Um, man, yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. All everything that's that's happened and is happening, it's it's hard to believe that that's a reality. But 
<laughs> no, we don't need to start talking about reality because no. then we'll start talking about the double split slit experiment. And okay, now what about UFOs? Oh, they're real. Obviously, the government believes in them. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I love the stories of them. You know, shutting down nuclear, uh, um, like warheads and stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I've thought of that. And I honestly like think about like how stupid a lot of our leaders around the world have been since the development of nuclear weapons. And I'm like, oh, we probably haven't blown ourselves up yet because of extraterrestrial intervention is like what I, I would like. That's what I would like to man. assume. I'd like to believe like the only reason we haven't blown ourselves up is because the aliens won't let us. <laughs> yeah. It's catastrophic, not to the planet, but to the universe. Yeah. Um there's yeah, my brain can go down a bunch of crazy stuff. If you want to have an esoteric if you want to have an esoteric podcast with me, we could do that too. And I'll go We gotta do we'll it. talk about uh you know, the collective consciousness of Venus, uh which is, you know, manifested as Ra. Um uh-oh, I don't know anything. Yeah, about that. exactly, man. We could talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> Collective consciousness. Yeah, that's what we're moving towards currently on Earth. Don't you feel it? Like you to the point where you don't even need to talk. Dude, you can walk into a room right now and if there's five people in the room, you can tell like how they all kind of generally feel. And you can definitely tell yeah. if one of them doesn't like you. Yeah, I mean, I have that situation with with people in general. Like, I'm I will encounter somebody I don't even know that I'm, I'm like I'm already I don't like this person. You can feel it; it's intuitive. Yeah. That's that's a part of like us coming to a collective consciousness. Now, imagine if this sort of um, these theories or or this science was brought up in our grandparents' generation. Bullshit. yeah i know but they yeah but they didn't no i don't know it's hard because like our parents didn't like my dad didn't read books he looked at the freaking glass he looked at the glass rectangle people talk about more shit people go deeper now people are more accepting of different ideas and yeah there's a, lot, there's a lot there's a lot of a lot of different lights and sounds on the glass rectangle than there used to be. <laughs> oh yeah, have you told people back in the, you know, 70s I do, I don't know. Maybe I'm too young to even be talking about this, but like, you know, I don't know, meditation maybe. They're like, "Okay, what are you doing?" Like that's not a thing. Or like It wasn't. Take, take it wasn't time, a thing in take, the 70s. Yeah, take uh or even like understanding crime for example. Like, you know, um the the idea of um uh like profiling. Uh you know, back in the day people were just like, Oh, people are just born crazy, you know, but then they kinda really they started interviewing these people that committed these crimes and you know like oh they all have shitty childhoods <laughs> yeah exactly. it's like okay so maybe there's more to this than just uh that person was born crazy you know yeah there's there's some real science here you know every, the, everything affects everything you know and there's definitely more of an awareness and acceptance of that and it's and it's growing bigger and bigger and i can't wait to see where it goes in my lifetime you know yeah yeah and i man i almost touched on this earlier i don't know where but we were talking to like about 
Yeah, I think back to our parents about how they would pass judgment on people so quickly about stuff. And I'm like, you know, most of us don't choose what we like. Back to the Squire guitar that was calling to you, right? You don't know why, right? You can give some reasons like, oh, I want to play this song, you know, it looks cool. Like you can give reasons, but you really don't know why. And we don't know why we like the things we like. Like I can give my reasons for enjoying skateboarding, but I don't know why I like it. Like, I just do. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, we pass all this judgment on people for the shit they like. Yeah. And it's like, they didn't choose it to begin with. Why are you passing judgment on them? I don't know. As long as you're not hurting anybody, you're not stealing, like, do whatever the fuck you want. Especially if you're making other people happy. Like, that's real cool, then. I 100% agree. Yeah, and even, like, with drugs, like, I think having, you know... I think just just make them all legal, you know. I know. I you know what, dude? If they made heroin legal tomorrow, I wouldn't go out and do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. You know, still, and, and in fact, because it's legal, it's less rebellious. You know, like sure, it takes that. I don't know. I don't know if there is there a lot of rebellious heroin addicts. Like, oh man, I'm going to do this to show my dad, or is it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot of heroin addicts. That's how I got into drinking. Was because you weren't supposed to type of thing? Yeah, I, uh, well, so it's kind of funny. Is growing up, I saw my older siblings who were, you know, significantly older than me get into situations with alcohol that weren't great. And as a little kid, I tried, I see that and I try, well, I'm going to try and do better than that, you know, for my parents. Yeah. You know, I want to try and do better. And um, so my parents would offer me alcohol periodically, you know, be like, okay, do you want to have a glass of wine? And be like, no. Doing that, I'm not going down that path. I'm not going to be like my siblings, you know, in in that sense. And then I remember eventually there was just one day where I just got so mad. I think it was more towards my dad. I can't remember what it was about, but that was like, fuck it, I'm gonna start drinking. I started drinking, you know, right after I graduated high school. And uh, I mean, and it felt it felt like I was doing something bad. I was doing something that they didn't want me to do because I was drinking a lot of it, you know. And then that started, you know, into freshman year where everybody's drinking, you know. Yeah. So it was just uncontrolled amount of drinking. But so I don't know. I feel like for me that came from a, re- a rebellious place, but I don't know. Nah, that's in your family too, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just the way they've been. Um, well, I do Back to the whole, you know, hard drugs thing, though. I I do think it's cool how certain countries have it completely legal, and there's, there's like, literally a place where you can go get clean needles and do it safely. They won't let you overdose, you know. No one has to die being having a, you know, a mental disability or yeah. having a problem with an addiction, you know. Yeah. I was... Uh, I like that's, that's not a cure to lock somebody up. I was... Know? I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who was talking about how he, he used to do a lot of cocaine. And I was like, you know, I've never done it. And, and I will brag. I've never done it. I'll brag about it too. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. okay. uh, I've seen it like twice, maybe in my life, but yeah, no, not just wasn't attracted to it, I guess. But he was talking about some other folks that he used to roll with, you know, and he was like, yeah, I used to roll with these guys, this guy, and this guy. We used to, you know, we were getting hard into it. And, uh, he was like, at some point I had to, I got out of there and he was like, 
all those guys are dead. All those guys Man. are dead now. I was yeah. like, holy shit. And like, yeah, he named a whole crew of people I knew, but didn't realize that they were into that. You know, like a lot yeah. of times you'll know a group of people, but you don't know that they're, they do hard drugs on the side. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh fuck. Wow. You, you got lucky then, huh? Cause he, he's like the last one rolling with him. He's like, I had to get out of that. Yeah. I mean, plus if it's legal, then the, it decreases the chances of shit being laced, you know? Oh yeah. The whole fentanyl thing. I've met some guys that like should be dead, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I think, uh, jail is a great place for people who make an actual decision to do something terrible versus, you know, struggle with something mentally and decide to do, you know, whether it's self harm or experiment yeah. that progress into an addiction, you know, that's not necessarily, you know, a decision was made to do something terrible, you know, there's something else. There's, there's, there was other reasons behind it. And therefore I don't think that should really be, you know, illegal per se. Yeah. Yeah. I watched this, uh, movie recently, uh, about these kids that tried to steal some artwork and it was like a, based on a true story. Um, and the very end of it, this woman's makes a really good point where like these kids were looking for some kind of like great experience in their life, you know, real, you know, like a real experience. So they like, were trying to pull off this heist. Right. Yeah. And she was like, you know, instead of looking inward, instead of trying to help other people, they chose to, you know, hurt somebody and be violent and, you know, to, in order to try and find this experience. And I find that very selfish. And I was like, oh man, that's legit. Like, not that I'm trying to pull off any kind of heist though, man, rabbit hole brain. I got some heist down. <laughs> <laughs> like, like i said like where my brain will just like instantly like travel oh, oh, my brain it. will rabbit yeah. hole my brain will go far yeah. fast like we'll pull off a heist um yep uh but and you'll think about it so much that you won't even have to do it you know because the perfectionism in you won't pull it off that's exactly won't, it won't, won't do it that's exactly it man <laughs> That's funny. Oh, that's a good place, man. We've been over two hours, Rob. Your that's phone, crazy. your phone made it. Uh well, I, I'm I'm sitting here with it plugged in the charger now. So. No, that's cool, dude. We got to a lot. I feel like we, I feel like we could have done a little bit more in the music. Okay, but uh, no, we definitely got. Man, you 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 gave me so much information that I like never thought of. And you know what? I don't think a lot of people would like I want to I like see like I kind of like take what you're saying and like want to downsize it. You know what I mean? Like how do you produce, you know, a quality show in a small venue as opposed to a shed? And uh yeah. And so yeah, I'm man, yeah, definitely got to talk to you some more. That's for sure. Yeah, man. Likewise, this is this is really cool. You know, it's it's really cool being able to you know the podcast is cool, but just being able to sit down with you know you or somebody and just really get to know them, you know, or what you know what their life is like currently. Because I think about this quite often about 
like the four year mark. I'm like, you know, every four years, it seemed like in school, I was going through a different phase, you know, whether it's from middle school to high school, high school to college, college to, you know, the real world. And from the beginning of those four years to the end of those four years, I feel like I was a completely different person. And so I feel like every four years, like people go through some pretty dramatic changes, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. And so, you know, I, it's just, it's just cool to talk about, uh, you know, those phases and experiences that people have gone through. Cause you know, it's, it's all different. It's so cool. You know, it's awesome, man. Yeah. Dude, congrats on the baby. Oh, thank you. Dude. Yeah. I'm about to go, uh, Go see how he's doing. Maybe put him to bed in the next. Try minutes, not to buy him a bunch of crap that you just want to buy them that they don't need. Like, <laughs> like that's what it is. It's like, uh, well, no, like it, you want to, uh, you just want to put energy into your kid. Like, and like yeah. one of our kind of old fallback ways of putting energy into something other than just like paying attention, you know, is to like spend money. Like if I spend right. money on this, Bye. then I'm putting energy into it, you know, and it'll be better. And with yeah. another person, like a little kid, they just need your eyes, man. Yeah. I don't I know. That's great advice. Yeah. Cause I bought so much plastic stuff from target. <laughs> like, <laughs> like my kid does not care if I have like fake grass to put the nipples in for the bottles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. He's not going to look back and be like, my dad was great, you know, growing up as a kid because he had all the cool drying racks for my accessories. Yeah. The, yeah. This is about you putting in, like, wanting to put energy into your kid and you don't know how, but Target and Walmart, they have the answer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just watch it because I did that. I still do it. (laughs) Fucking six year old has a drum set. (laughs) all right rob thank you so much yeah man this has been fun Hmm, how should i put it some people say we have a soul that goes on living when we are dead but i don't believe this And yet, I'm certain, beyond all doubt, that through certain experiences, we can develop a very fine substance in ourselves. When we die, this substance does not die at the same time, but much later. Oh, how convenient!